Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. Uh, your co-host, Spaz. Hello. Sadly, Hunter is still under the weather. That's one of the reasons we did not have the podcast last week is because Hunter and I weren't feeling great. So we just decided to skip it because it's a topic we're very interested about. But that's what we're going to talk about next week. This week, we actually have a guest joining us coming back. Uh, you were about, you're here in March of this year, actually. So coming back to talk about uh, AI war now that it's out of early access from Durham, North Carolina, Chris Park. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, oh, it's our pleasure. Time number three, maybe. I, I think so, because I think we had you on for, was it the last Federation or was it the original iWar? It was one of those two. Um, uh, I don't think there was, you know, streaming hadn't been invented yet when it was originally <laughs> iWar. That's ancient history. It must have been the last Federation. It probably was. Either that or Stars Beyond Reach. I don't know. One of the two of those. Whatever, hap- whatever happened with Stars Beyond? Is that still a thing? Is that still a going concern? It's not a thing. Oh. The obvious pun is that it was out of reach. Oh, God. Oh. I know. Yeah, but I've, I've been waiting. That's such low-hanging fruit. Oh. <laughs> But last time you were here, I gave you the solution. You just haven't you implemented it. You did. And actually, I still have that in a notepad uh, thing. I have a little of all my little things I take notes on. I've got a little notepad thing that I keep open on my desktop at all times. And your notes uh, are right on there, actually. Um, it's uh, so you never know. That would solve a lot of the problems it, uh, in the grand scheme that actually was a really good solution but some of the moment to moment turn to turn stuff would still be there's so many moving parts with that game i've actually instead of the god instead of going after these these monolithic projects right with the that's kind of high stakes right it's got it's got to win or or you're dead um what about in the interim like now that ai war 2 is out can you do some like smaller experimental things and just kind of talk I mean, out I, there and see what sticks? Because I've heard you I mean, say and I did. We, or, uh, I mean, like in 2016, we had Starward Rogue. Um, you know, that was uh, small, cost under a hundred thousand dollars to make. Um, we had a large team working on it. Uh, I don't know, ten people or something like that, and so we got it done in like three months, and. Um, it's done really well in reviews on Steam for what's there. Totally ignored by the press too recently after Nuclear Throne, not a left of a press period, oh, kind of a no. niche thing in general. I mean, the total gross on that thing is like $120,000 or something. It's ridiculously low. Yeah. Um, after like two and a portion years, I mean, that's ridiculously bad mm. and um and then like in case of emergency release raptor i mean i went to early access <laughs> with that that was an experimental like dream project for me and um it was yeah, I mean, uh i mean like super um, light like flappy not, bird light well you never know that's i feel like if it's that light it has to be high concept in a way that um, that's not really my strength. You get into like the game jam crowd there. And, um, but I do plan on doing some lighter things. We're going to be pushing AI war to like more updates and expansions and stuff for a, 
you know, hopefully a good number of years. And that should also give me some breathing room to work on some other projects that are kind of um, midsize. And I'd like to, honestly, I'd like to be able to kind of make some games that my kids also can get into mm. and that uh, therefore like targets, you know, PC, Mac, Linux, Switch, why not PlayStation 4 and Xbox, you know, and, um, you know, so obviously as a controller uh, as well as the keyboard and mouse stuff. So yeah. that would well, be nice. I, I, still I will feel like mm. that's an, go ahead, Brian. I would like to make a request, uh, a Valley without mm. wind three, please. Uh, if, you would, uh, if you would please continue that series, I'd be very happy. <laughs> or what about a very windy valley? Super windy the, valley. Uh, there you uh, go. Yeah. I think it would be like a Valley Without Wind 1 remastered would be what I think most people would like. If the uh, the play of that one compared to the sequel is like 10 to 1. On, oh, really? Remember, that the sequel was given away for free to right. owners of the first game. And then the first game got, and, you know, they were only ever sold as a bundle, basically. Right. And so that means that theoretically they should have equal playtime or whoever, um, whichever game is more popular, you know, there's money's not a factor. So, you know, people prefer the first one. <laughs> so let me ask you a random question then. If I was going to stream either a Valley Without Wind one or two, and if I can only stream one of them, which one would you want me to stream? That is a tough question. I mm-hmm. like the exploration of the first one better. It feels more fun mm-hmm. to explore. The moment-to-moment combat of the second one, and I know this is probably an un- unpopular opinion amongst a lot of people, but um, it's it's more of a Contra-like instead of a Metroidvania. And um, then it's got the kind of strategy layer on the world map instead of the city-building layer in the towns. And so... Um, I personally prefer the second one, um, except then I go back and play the first one. I'm like, oh, but this was so <laughs> fun to explore. And so it's, it's I, you know, I'm so torn. <laughs> That's fair. They're, they're kind of like your kids. Uh, I just thought, because I do want to stream one of them. Maybe I'll stream both of them, but I just wanted to know if you had a preference because uh, they're your babies. <laughs> Probably the second one is easier. It's more bite-sized in some ways, you know, oh. you don't go wandering around and find nothing for a long period of time. Like you might in say like Minecraft or Terraria or something, that aspect's not there, but you also don't like wander for a while and then find something amazing. It's more of a, like some of the mystery is gone. It's more stage. Like it's more, you know, like a, like a Mega Man stage or a Contra stage or something. And there's the, there's this kinetic element to it, which is why I like the combat better in the second one, personally, mm-hmm. even though there's not the feeling of power and power creep that you get with the first one. So it's just like, eh, I'm going like to admit being chased I, by an unstoppable demon. I'm going to admit, I love them both. I, I, I just love them both. So I, I'd probably stream them both at some point. <laughs> there you go. I would certainly not say no to that. But we are here to talk about your latest big deal, which is AI War 2, which is, of course, as everyone knows, well, anyone who's probably listening to this podcast, the sequel to, uh, would you say AI War is probably one of Arkin's biggest games? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's the one that everybody remembers and that put us on the map financially as our biggest one by a factor of about double the next highest one. And one behind that would be last federation. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, I know a lot of people who were like, really, I mean, a lot, I know a lot of people who were fans of the first one who were honestly a little nervous about this one because the first one oh, was, yeah, me too. <laughs> Well, the first one. Well, let's let's talk. I didn't about want what, to make this game. I didn't want to do this. Oh, really? <laughs> Are you crazy? Like, I didn't want to make this game. Like, that's <laughs> the people's expectations were sky high. Oh no, there was no way. There was no way I was going to make people happy. It was oh, a no. lose. It was a losing proposition. And so it was only after like everything else had failed that it was like, all right, that's fine. Let's go back to that well. I guess you know that was like the thing that everybody really liked. Let's try and follow it up. <laughs> you know, like that, that, that doesn't work. And it did. And that yeah. was only something that really turned around in the last two quarters. Really. Yeah. Well, I mean, devel- to the first until the last six months. Development stalled for a while because of uh, personal issues, but you really jumped back on the horse uh, earlier this year and like the updates have just even before launch, the the early access updates were just crazy. Like, and they're still coming hot, fa- hot and fast. Like, like yeah. the, it's a machine gun of updates. Like, oh my god, it's like boom, 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 boom. boom. They're no longer, uh, you know, transforming the experience in the same way that we were doing during some of early access. I mean, for personal reasons, I stepped aside for a while, and that for about three months. And that actually gave me a good time to realize just how deeply unhappy I was with the game and, um, mm. and then go, okay, here's a big document on what I'm going to do to pivot, you know, not pivot. Uh, we already used that word before, uh, like a, t- a year before that, but uh, to implement this new fleet system and, um, you know, would solve all the various problems that I had with it. And it did, but it took a good, six plus months to uh, um, implement. Somebody, uh, Xenon321 was asking why not remaster AI War 1? And, um, you know, that's a really good question. Um, We were painted into a corner with the first game. Like, the first game was originally intended to be way smaller than it was. And um, so, like, everything from how it was how the AI was built, how the factions were built, how the every element of the technology and the design as well of like the ship to ship interactions and everything. Even if we had like redone like the, with modern threading and stuff under the hood. Um, even if we had just gone in and recreated, let's say not from the code, but from the wiki recreated the first game, there were things that were hamstringing us, like uh, the, all these force field shield bearers and stuff. You know, you could just tank performance in all these different areas. And there were mechanics that just we couldn't optimize the mechanics as they were. And we couldn't simplify the explanations to new players as they were. Like it had, AI War One had kind of reached its natural equilibrium of complexity and performance and ability to be expanded. And uh, 
that was a really unpleasant place for me personally to exist. So we needed to do something that kept the spirit of the first one, but reinvented it enough so that we weren't in a corner anymore, but that we were instead like on the foundation of something that could be like way, 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 way bigger. And um, because we wanted to be able to like throw in so much more content than the first one had versus going, well, we have to put in all the content from the first one to make it even, even. And then, then once we have that, like, where do we go from, you know, that could have taken years. So it was a big circular sort of argument to go through. I mean, it probably would have been more expensive to recreate the first one than making this true sequel Hmm. and it wouldn't perform well and, and it wouldn't be any more understandable. And a lot of people would have been just kind of like, why? (laughs) <laughs> like I already have the first one. Why are you charging me again? Or I already bounced off the first one. I'm not going to buy it again and bounce off that one. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was just a whole host of reasons there, really. Now, before we get into the, I want, I do want to talk about the fleet system. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about what exactly AI War is for those of uh, listening who might not know, which would be surprising if there's people listening to this specific podcast who don't know what AI, war, the core of AI War is, but. Let's just assume <laughs> that folks don't. Basically, it's like one of the most asymmetrical RTSs ever made. Um, I, th- I think I'm putting that right. Uh, basically, you're a lone human trying to fight a universe that's been conquered by malicious AI, and you have to you have to take over the universe, but not too quickly. Unless you want to get your face slapped, like is that a good way to is that a good way to put it? Like is that a is a very good way to put it? Yeah, because I mean I I'm gonna oh, be like honest. Get your face ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I um I was one of those people who bounced off the first one, but I have to say, one of the things that helped me get into the second one is the fleet system you mentioned. It's just, just elegant. You know, it's just the the way the fleets work with with the with the tra- with the with its main like ship and everything that it could like the fleet can go on that ship and then the fleet has a specific ships it can build and those ships can be upgraded. It's just so elegant. So I'd like Thanks. I'd like I'd I'd like to hear about how that came about. That's a huge that difference. That, Sorry, that's a yeah, huge that difference in the, the first game. That, that was the thing that I was really um, that came about after my deep unhappiness with the game because we had recreated a lot of what the first game was, minus what I felt like were fiddly bits, um, like things like what we call like warp relays and all this sort of junk that people could set up these kind of like factorio like uh, um, streams of ships that are getting routed from here to there to there to there in the galaxy and their whole like economy was this engine of moving ships from a to b to c to d you know and there's a certain amount of fun in that but there's like this immense skill floor that you have to slash knowledge floor really more knowledge than skill um it's not like a twitch sort of a skill it's like a learn like chess skill not not halo skill and so um one of the one of the things that I was looking at was how people were playing. Like what is the end result of what people would create and how can we cut out 
kind of the middle steps. Like, why is it that it's so hard to get ships of X type from this location in the galaxy over to here? How can we take that out? And the most obvious way is to say, well, okay, they just appear there. But when you do that, you go, well, why do I need to defend this location over here? Like, the whole point is to like have to defend different parts of the galaxy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so in order to in order to, you know, protect your engine of of uh progress. And um some of that was indeed lost where you don't have to um you can sometimes consolidate your uh uh empire a little bit more, but you still it all comes back to the core loop of when you've quote unquote paid the price to capture a planet and uh, get a new fleet or whatever type, new ship, new global command um, augmenter that, um, you know, gives you more tourists, whatever it is you paid the price for. Um, that is a planet. You've just made the AI angrier. That is now a planet that can bear resources for you. Like an income, it's an income source. And if the income source is greater than the income that you spend defending that planet, then, you know, you're advised to hold it. And if it's not something you can hold, then you've traded a slightly weaker economy. You know, that goes into your back and forth thinking of, well, I got the fleet or I got the more turrets or the whatever that was there. And I paid the AI progress increase cost for it, but I didn't get the economic boost that would have come with it. So now I'm now, how do I get the money to actually build the ships, the metal, the energy, whatever it is uh, that you're short on. And so, um, some of that tension of territory capture and control that before in the first game had been centered around specific ships became centered around just the economy here. And so um, that by shaving away a lot of the middle steps, we were able to get down to the, the true essence of what was there. And as a part of that, you know, we were able to give you more ships and more ship types and balance them and, you know, make it so that you're more likely to have, you know, multiple fleets in different locations, that sort of thing. So you're on more fronts at once, et cetera. So it's all um, where going part way did not feel good uh, for a lot of the players that were starting to test the earliest versions in. April and May of the fleet system, they were actually kind of pissed. Uh, they were like, hmm. this is terrible. You need to go back. This doesn't feel right. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, tell me what doesn't feel right. And, um, you know, they explained and some of it was like, oh yeah, I already thought about that. That's coming. It's in the original document. It's just not there yet. Trust me. And other things they brought up, I was like, oh yeah, I totally didn't ever think of that. I'm really glad this is, this is why I'm soliciting feedback now versus just, you know, doing it in secret and then giving the completed thing. And so um, after several months of that and a lot of player feedback, um, it really became clear where all the pain points were. We shaved those all off, implemented the last of the features. And the design document wasn't really complete until like August, I think. And then, oh, crap. 
Um, yeah, swapping ship lines. That was a big deal. Yeah, because um, I, I found managing fleets and ships in the first game, like, totally overwhelming. Like, I couldn't wrap my brain around how to do any of it. Well, but, it was like, I didn't know which ships to mix together for what reason, right? So it was like, well, do I just make all of this or do I make what? But in playing the new one, I like the the ship thing, and especially like when you get the carrier, right? Because you load them all in and then the carrier gets a little boost coming out of the gate. So I can either, like if, if he's set up an ambush at the gate, I can get away from it before I drop my guys or I can scoot like just drop right on his base and unload everything. Um, Which that that's something thing. that people did in the first game all the time. Advanced players did because they would build transports and that's how they played. But it was real pain in the rear to do it because they had to manually load and their transports were getting destroyed all the time. And that was like a major like clicking around and hitting hotkeys and stuff thing for them to do. And only advanced players knew to do that. So you could totally mm-hmm. miss that in the first game. Here it's just like hit the L key, go. <laughs> Yeah, so so here, though, it's like I start out and my first ship's a carrier, and then the second ship is a support ship, and the, the third ship is um, the defense platform, right? And after that, whenever I can just – I click make custom fleet, it drops a carrier, but the carrier never gets population. And it, sometimes it's like, well, I'd like to make a second support fleet or whatever. And I just haven't figured out how you control what kind of fleet you're going to make. Or do you just get what you get? Or how does that work? So everything is based on capture. Those, um, the problem that arises. So what those empty fleets are for is the situation where let's say you've hypothetically, let's say you've captured maybe four offensive fleets And um, you notice that you've got like some melee, like really short range units in there that you would like to have on their own because it makes sense to control them together. And -hmm. you've got like some cloaked ships mixed in somewhere and you've got some really fast ships and you've got some long range ships and so forth. And maybe if whatever, another category, like a little like anti-structure bombers, let's say you're like, crud, I've got five categories of things that I want to control independently. And I've got four fleets that I've captured. Mm. And well, so the extra fleet is so that you can take, you can make an empty husk basically, and then transfer, you know, reorganize basically um, into that fifth fleet. All right. Well, the bombers, those go in there. And so now you've got your five organizational units. Oh, how do you transfer the guys between fleets? Cause it just seemed organic. Like, the, this this fleet's just going to build the you know it's like I get twenty of this and forty of that and two of these and that's what he's going to grow. So right, it, it's how do you how do you like lasso those guys and then say no no you belong to that carrier. You have to transfer the whole ship line. So you go under the fleets tab and when you click a fleet, it gives you a management window and um, it shows you each of the lines that are in that fleet and you can as well as the number of empty slots. Um, each uh, fleet at this point can control, have up to uh, five slots. So even your first fleet, if you want to throw, I don't know, parasites or something in there um, and you didn't have them before, you got more parasites, you want to put more in, um, you can 
customize even that first fleet with something that you've found out in the galaxy somewhere and say, okay, um, either hit the swap button on something you want to get rid of that's in there that, that uh, you're willing to just swap away to the destination fleet or on an empty slot and just say, yeah, just bring in some parasites. You now this thing's even beefier. And so um, it's, it's right in that interface. That is uh, I think of the fleets themselves as being kind of like procedurally generated chess pieces, mm-hmm. but you can customize them afterwards and you can kind of um, subdivide them a bit by using the empty fleets that you then, um, you know, maybe take bits and bobs from um, the, the things you find and, and sub, subset them if you want to. Oh, I didn't get that okay. either. I'm going to, oh. I'm going to load my save back up here and look at what you're talking about. Cause <laughs> I was kind of struggling with that. You know, it's like the, the tutorial stuff, what it covers, I'm cool. But then whenever you get to the more advanced things, you know, it's, it's kind of like your features have outrun the tutorial at this point. So. Yeah, and we changed a few things about how that particular bit worked um, probably around the time frame that you were playing it because um, people were unhappy that uh, – it's a long story, but it, it was like, you know, there were sl- seven slots in the um, in the empty fleets and you couldn't get any extra slots in the fleets you capture that you started with. You just had two or three or four, however many slots in there. And you couldn't put like duplicate lines. You can put like all your snipers in one thing. You had to, if you had two sniper lines, you couldn't put them together. You had to have them separate for, because I didn't anticipate people would want to do that initially. And so that technically wasn't, possible into the hood. So I had to kind of reinvent that once I figured out how to. And so then for a little while, you could only swap in instead of out. So it was, that part evolved a lot in actually the last couple of weeks in response to um, post-launch player feedback as people were like, hey, we really want to customize in XYZ ways that you don't let us do right now. And said okay wow you guys really feel strongly and actually that makes a lot of sense actually i kind of feel strongly about that too now that i really think about it <laughs> yeah where, where did you say that you you switch the the lines of the fleet, from? fleets tab and you can just click into any fleet so if you've got something you want to take something out of or put mm-hmm. something into just go into whichever one oh, okay that reminds me of something for I, about a oh, sorry go ahead. half a week there you could only go where you were switching them out of not where you were it was unidirectional, which was confusing. <laughs> oh, okay, so I oh. see, yeah, I see the swap button here. Oh, that's probably uh, what I was. All right, that's probably I just what never I was clicked swap before. Uh, I probably was doing the same thing. I need to make ourselves a new tutorial in there to <laughs> cover fleet customization. I think it's in the like how to play tips, but uh, it is. I know it is actually. It, it is, and I read it, but, but I don't think. Read- I read it. I read all that stuff before I started playing. Uh, plus nice. doing the tutorials. Wow. Well, it said to, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to look like a complete idiot well, when I record this. So <laughs> that's why I read it. That's why, that's, that's why I read everything. I'm like, I don't want to look like a complete noob, just a, a mostly noob, <laughs> just a somewhat. So did you, did you play any ashes of the singularity? Me, Me? or yeah. who, who you asking? Yeah, Stardock's thing with the AI. Personally, I didn't know. A little oh, okay. tiny bit. A little um, tiny bit. 
it it's interesting. Um, it, it's that game has its own challenges, right? But I feel like this the the original AI war was a little more like Ashes of the Singularity, where you have factories and they just continuously pump out that thing, right? And then you lasso a big glob of them and you toss them where they need to be, and they deal with it on their own when they get there. This seems to be a lot. It, it, it's still the same uh, general idea of that, but with the addition of the fleet stuff, it's almost got like a little bit of home world in it. And then managing yeah. multiple stars where things are going on is um, kind of sins of the solar empire. Right. But I struggle in sins because it's, you get so focused on like, this is what I'm doing in this solar system, but then you got like 10 other stars going on and you can't be everywhere at once, right? So this, I can just pop tab and see on the map, yeah, okay, this is what's going down, right? Um, so it, it just, uh, I don't know, it, it seems easier for me to play this, and I just have to get my head around the detail stuff. Um, but it, it's, it seems like a, a middle ground between those three games that kind of does it for me. That makes sense, yeah. And uh, I would say... Supreme Commander uh, was the, you know, inspiration for the first one in terms mm-hmm. of the aspects you were commenting on, which, yeah, that plays into Ashes of the Singularity from what I'm, from what I've heard of it. Um, you know, yeah, Ashes kind of problem a- is a unit differentiation deal because w- with your stuff, I can look at these icons and I know what those ships are. Um, with Ashes, they kind of all look alike, so. It's it's a composition thing, right? Because here, um, it, it's like, well, the carrier is going to get like X number of Y wings and the long range ship, you know, the uh, uh, impact frigates or whatever they're called, um, and it just kind of gets a decent mix of that stuff. Um, in ashes, though, you're completely responsible for the mix. It's it's like, what ratio do I want of this kind and that kind, and then you make a group. But then they'll they'll sort themselves into formation, right? Like, okay, long range guys get in the back, and the brawlers just gravitate toward the front, and then they go. And so it's it's a thing where I never play that game zoomed in to see what's going on. I'm always like max zoom out on the map because I'm just grabbing like a you know a thousand guys at a time and saying, okay, go up there, and just fling them in the general direction because the AI just takes care of it. Um, but to me, that kind of loses a lot because I don't like a game where I have to be in there and like micro like 10 heroes that are in the middle of, you know, 500 dudes. Right. And it's like, yeah. oh, I got to click on that priest and cast his heel and then pick who is he. No, no. I, that oh, I'm that whole totally... Warcraft thing is not me. Nope. I, I love Warcraft 2 and 1. Warcraft mm. 3 lost me. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same exact boat, actually. I I did not yeah. I did not chill with Warcraft. I know a lot of people did, but I'm 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 much more of a one and two guy, especially two. I but still, if you play Dota, then you're that uh, one guy, right? <laughs> with Dota, you're one guy, and you have to micro that one guy, and that's enough, right? That's a whole game right there. Is it's it? just microing one guy, yeah. But then whenever you play Warcraft three, it's like, oh yeah, I got ten of those dudes running around, and I got to play them all. Oh God! Yeah, and the economy, and, and the, yeah, and the economy. 
Now you brought yeah. up earlier no. the uh, you brought up earlier the fleet screen, and that made me want to bring up the uh, new interface in the uh, yeah. in the new game because I have to say I I love it. Uh, it's just so much more. Again, I'm going to use this word elegant than the original game uh, and efficient. It just makes like I'm kind of there a was UI. a lot of there was a lot of stuff that was just kind of like based off of what people had been saying about the first game. And um, we knew what they liked and we knew it was overwhelming and we didn't necessarily know what to do about the parts that were overwhelming, but over three years of iterating, we mostly got there. Um, And I knew that there was some stuff with the first game, like with the galaxy map in particular, um, there was some stuff that, because that one couldn't be panned or zoomed or scrolled, um, it had a very fixed amount of information density, and that was problematic. It was something that uh, Keith and I struggled with for years with the first game, um, and being able to actually like show icons for ships and big structures and capturables and stuff on the main galaxy map was a big, big win for us here and, and something we set out from you know day one we wanted to do and then it went through a lot of iterations to actually make that readable because suddenly we had information overload but mm-hmm. um but it came out well in the end and then like the intel tab that was in all the tabs oh. and so forth on the sidebar in general that was stuff that we wanted to do um from the first game it was like where else can we put this stuff and uh you know we needed a a sidebar that would kind of swap in and out. So I have to ask about what I wanted to ask. That was the next thing I was going to ask about was the Intel screen. I, I love it, but it is a bit overwhelming, uh, especially when there's like 90 things in there. Um, so I wanted to yeah. ask, well, it's, it's not a bad thing. I get it. It's it's, but I wanted to ask, is there like, how would you like, do you have a personal way you would deal with things in the Intel screen? Do you have like a personal order that you can suggest to a new player like me? Like, cause there's so many things and it's kind of hard Honest, to know. Honestly, I, the Intel screen is the suggestion box. I, I know that. I know that. But when that you way. have, but you, when you have 90 suggestions, it's like, okay, for the game I'm playing now, so, I just, I just look at what's closest around me. Like I'll go down the Intel screen. I'm like, oh, there's something a system away. Okay, I'm going to deal with that right now. Um, but so it's kind of by category. And right. so, do you need more fleet ships? Do you need more offensive capabilities? Are you feeling uh, defensively <sighs> inadequate, and therefore you want more turrets for all of your areas? You know what I mean? And those are all broken out into categories. And depending on the category of like, what is it that you want right now? Do you want to get the AI progress lower? Do you want to, you know, there's all those sorts of different things. Mm, And so you can start with a category of like, what's my problem I'm trying to solve right now? Or like, what's going to, what's going to overall like help me the most? Like, is my stuff like dying a little bit too fast? Like, do I need like a support fleet? Maybe then, you know, you can kind of look, based off of, you know, a variety of different um, criteria. And then underneath that, it sorts it primarily by the difficulty, the, the, the likely difficulty you will face in getting to and capturing that, which usually means 
roughly the distance to the planet, but not always, because it could be just behind a bunch of nasty planets or another one is equally far away, but is behind some weaker planets. And so they're, you know, or might even be farther away, but it's just a lot of easy hops. So then you can kind of look and say, okay, well, what's kind of the ratio of difficulty to get to the thing and has stuff that I want. You can hold down the C button and then left click it. And you can see all the details of all the ships that are in the fleet, for instance, or the turret types in the uh, global command augmenter. And then you can say, okay, well, this one has a really high difficulty rating, but it has some stuff in there that I really, really want. Like it's just has like, for instance, something, a bunch of parasites or a bunch of like that can capture ships or a bunch of cloaked units or something. And you're like, okay, well, it's going to be hard to get there, but uh, it's only on a Mark III planet. So I'm flying through hell. But then once I get out on the other side, it's probably not going to be too bad. So transport them up, send them on over, try and capture that thing. And that's maybe a situation where you can't hang on to the planet long term because it's way off on its own. But um, if you find something like that that you're interested in, that you want to consider for a while, you can right click it and that'll send it the top of the category that it's in um, instead of sorting it by. Yeah, that's a, that's a new addition. That's something that Badger came up with, which I thought was a great idea. That is a good Our, idea. Well, he implemented it. It may have been a player suggestion. So I, I think it was Badger's idea, but it might have been a player suggestion. Um, and so you can do that and basically say, okay, these are like things I want to pay attention to. And even if it's something you feel like, well, that one's on the Mark IV planet. I'm really interested in it, but that's not in the cards for another few, you know, captures you can still right click it and put it up near the top of the list so you don't forget and uh if top of the list for that particular category and um that's that's typically how i would approach it and it's based on so when in doubt go for the offensive fleets because Mm. they can also be used for defense but past a certain point that actually flips because you've got too many planets and they each need to be able to defend themselves. So you really need to have um, the global command augmenters, the GCAs, which give you more turrets everywhere. And so, um, but you you kind of have to judge. You're like, okay, my fleets are running back and forth too much right now. Like I can't Mm. mountain offensive enough. I'm spending too much time, like running around time for a GCA. Right. And it's kind of amazing how the both offensive and defensive game is mixed in there. Like, I found that amazing. Like, one minute you'll be t- trying to take over a planet, the next, oh God, I got to send a fleet over here to protect this planet that's being attacked by the AI right now. There's this constant back and forth of counterattacks and whatnot that just, just make it so... I think it's very unique. I think it's really unique in how the universe flows like there really isn't another game like this where, where the, there really isn't, especially once you do the factions and a lot of that has to do with uh, badger. Who's one of our volunteers. I mean, Keith and I developed the original AI. I mean, originally I developed the original AI myself for, I don't know, three years or something. And then Keith came on and then built it up even more with some new techniques in addition to what I'd been doing and refined a bunch of things. And then, 
Um, we started over from scratch with this game and Keith uh, re-implemented it kind of from first principles, essentially. And I focused on like ship level AI and performance and making the simulation run and all that sort of stuff. And then Badger came in and added even more and added um, all these other factions and sub factions for the AI. And um, so it's been a, it's been a really, um, you know, as much as I was behind the AI in the first game, I don't really take a whole lot of credit for the one in this one. Um, a lot of the principles are ones that are based on my design, but I didn't really do the implementation on that this time around. I did more to do with the the simulation and letting it run this many ships all at one time and that sort of thing. Yeah, because there are so many ships that can be running in this game at one time. Like thousands, right? You can have literally millions. Oh, You can God. have literally... <laughs> it's bananas. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is bananas. You can... I mean, uh, millions is, is really kind of a stretch. It's unlikely to be that, but it's pretty routine to see several hundred thousand. So... Thank God. And yeah... To start struggling... When I was starting to do the first day I wore, I was like, uh, Supreme Commander had a thousand, a uh, thousand units per side. I think it was. And with, I think, five factions, it would run really, really slowly, but we could kind of make it work. And then um, I was like, I bet I can get it to be 10,000 total units. And then the reality was was able to get it to be like 40,000 around lunchtime in like 2009. And then that crept up a bit over time and people were getting like 60 or 70,000, sometimes 90,000 ships, but a lot of them, you know, we had to put in a ton of performance things and then we kind of hit a wall. And uh, so then with this game it was like, all right, we're going to hit like those numbers routinely. And then it was like, Oh, well, okay. Now it can do several hundred thousand. And again, it was a, ton of tricks we use so many different tricks to make it have that we run things at different frame rates on planets that you're not looking at and don't have ships at and we do all sorts of bonkers stuff to make it work actually it's pretty cool now it was hacking in the first that was game? the stuff i oh. was doing this time oh yes that was kind of a late addition it was not in the first game for the first hmm, three years maybe Three, four years. I don't know. That was added in. Um, Keith added that in much, much later. Um, kind of once I was moved off of that game and working on things like Valley of That Wind and some other titles. And uh, never all that integral. It was It was important, but it wasn't like a key game feature. And with the sequel, we were like, all right, that was a really cool idea, actually. Let's make that a key game feature and kind yeah. of jigger it. And so it exists in a in a different fashion here. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask because I, I don't I didn't play much of the first one as as I've said, but I don't remember hacking at all. But I honestly love hacking in this one. I love it. <laughs> it's it's such a great way to Me too. I mean it 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 uh has a unique strategic um uh vantage i suppose where you know you can get around the normal bend the normal rules of the game there's nothing that's so much fun as bending the normal rules of the game 
<laughs> yeah, because like a lot of, and this is kind of a 4X, but and it's kind of like its own iteration of a 4X. But like with a lot of 4X games, you'll send out scouts and and they'll uh they'll uh you know they'll they'll find other planets and blah 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 but that's not how this game works you take over a planet and you just kind of scout the next planets in the chain but uh you can also hack a planet to always keep an eye on it for example which i just absolutely oh. adore <laughs> honestly People were doing that. This again was based on like watching player behavior. And that's, this was part of the, actually the fleets rework is I took out scouts when we did the fleets um, because scouting was either a chore or mm. too easy. It never was, it, you know, and it wasn't something that was like a core balance problem per se, where like it was a chore for everyone or too easy for everyone. It was like, well, it depends on the way the galaxy is, you know, and it depends on how you play. And some people would spend the first 20 minutes, like microing their scouts around and finding everything. And well, there's, you know, no need to, uh, there's no late game discoveries. Everything is revealed to you because you spent 20 minutes microing your ships around. And um, that's just not fun. And it mm-hmm. destroys the gradual, gaining of knowledge and so i was like all right let's go back to first principles on this what is it that scouting is supposed to do really i mean this is not like a this is not a rts like um starcraft where you can choose to go and like zerg rush your your enemy so there's no point in having like the ability to ultra fast scout if you micro that there's just no nothing is served by that. You get information overload and that's all you get. (laughs) And so I was like, all right, okay. There's a few other things. I mean, you can plan optimally and, you know, blah, blah. There's a few things, but I feel like they're kind of game breaking. So there's nothing in my opinion, valid that you can get out of it. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, what is the time marker? Not real time, but like, the actual like phases of the game marker and it needed to not be AI progress. That felt weird because that's like the marker of how angry the AI is getting you and like things, sometimes a building that you control getting blown up will cause that to go up. So we didn't want to scout based off of, Hey, you lost a building. Here's some scout Intel. Wait, what? So it needed to be based off of something that you definitely do yourself. That was clear. And that's a clear marker of progress forward in the game. So hence, planet capture and um that made it so that intel comes at a predictable rate for every player based on their progress through the game at whatever actual real time or game time speed that is i play in 4x speed usually oh geez um, four times <laughs> normal and then pause but i'm just not patient <laughs> <laughs> I I can't do I that. I play it almost like a turn-based game. I just I I put it on 4x speed and I give give my guys orders, they fly around really fast and I pause if I need to think about something. So I play it almost like it's turn-based even though it's not. <laughs> Freaking great. <laughs> I can't play that fast. I'm I'm still like this this good this too. This one goes over here. Okay, just move this one over because I don't know. Yeah, thank God for pause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh my God, thank God for pausing. Jesus Christ. 
I mean, <laughs> honestly, this is my favorite thing about. Okay, just hit the space bar. Shit stops. Figure out what's going on, right? Like uh, the game that I really wish had this the most is like War Game Red Dragon. If I could just hit space bar to put it into that it, like the, bullet time that it, they just don't have a hotkey. You have to go over there and click on it. Oh jeez. So you know, and it's like, oh my Oof. god, Eugen hotkey. Yeah. God, it's it's but it doesn't fly in multiplayer. So yeah. What was that? Well, you still can. Yeah, I mean, in multiplayer, when we get that in this game, you'll still be able to do it. And a lot of times people want to look at things at the same time. But we, uh, you know, in the first game, we had spacebar for like focus on your ship, whatever it is you've got currently selected. So you could select some things, hit spacebar and immediately see it and hold spacebar to center on it. And that seemed like the most important thing back in 2009. (laughs) And then um, in the sequel here, it's actually a player suggestion um, to make spacebar the um, the pause key because you're like you know that's really becoming such a common thing. I mean, it's YouTube, almost standard. Yeah, it's you know, it's almost the standard. Else. Yeah, yeah. Which I and think it just, should be. Yeah, it's it just, does. It, it it has this pride of place of like you know this is something we want to do all the time. Don't make me look down. Like I'm not holding my fingers in the home position I've I'm doing WSAD and mouse. And so I have to look to hit the P key. I don't for the space bar. So yeah, that's uh, another thing. Definitely. That's, that's huge, huge is WSAD because when I load up an RTS, like name any other RTS and they make me reach over and use the arrow keys because WSAD is already bound with like, combat move and whatever and it's just like oh god no <laughs> no no wsad come on first day i wore was that way yep first day i wore was that way and then one of the first things we did when we implemented the new cameras that was one of the things i was working on was trying to figure out the cameras and the interface and button mappings and some of that stuff i was like i don't care what else happens wsad is moving the freaking camera you know that's that is the pan because I, I don't know about you, but the very first thing that I do is turn off edge scrolling. I hate it because oh, I, oftentimes oh I want to get at some UI element that's over by the edge. And I yep. hate that in all oh, I hate of it. the various games that use it, including I hate this one. It. I, no, I'm, I'm got the same it turned way. on. Yeah. So and for me, so many games, it's like if you try to do edge scrolling, oh, my cursor's on another monitor now. That's great. Uh could could you lock it to this monitor, please? No. Okay, we're not using you anymore. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, for me, I. It's on by default in this game just because people expect it, but I really, really hate it, and I turn it off. the The very first thing I do whenever I boot up a fresh copy of this game is turn off edge scrolling, and then it's just WSAD fourth mouse button or Q to rope pan and tilt. And then the mouse wheel to zoom out and zoom in, you know, in the kind of Photoshop fashion that, you know, zoom straight out or zoom into the cursor. So, yeah, it's, uh, no, I'm with you, man. I can't stand. Edge scrolling. I can't, I can't stand edge scrolling in just about any game. Like, 
a lot of like I play a lot of older games, and a lot of them are either edge scrolling or drag your mouse around. It's like, oh god damn it, <laughs> or, or the middle mouse button and drag around. Which oh. This game does, but it doesn't force. Which it can be handy if you if you don't have. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just if, it's just not the only way. But, Some games, it's like the only way yeah. to scroll the mouse. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, one it, thing it can I do, be handy. One thing I do really like though, and you do it is whenever you scroll the mouse wheel that the screen pans to wherever you're pointing at, right? Like I zoom in wherever the mouse is. Yeah. I wish that's, more games did that. It throws off face. some, it, it, it throws off some people. And so we actually had to make an option in the first game and this one for to be able to turn that off. Cause some people expect it to go to the center of their screen. But mm. for me, I'm like, where are you going? When the screen goes straight in, I'm just like, I don't understand Photoshop. I think, as far as I know, Photoshop was the first program to do that. And then like Supreme Commander did it. And I was like, well, I can't play any other way now. Yeah. Distant Worlds does yeah, it also. And I, after Distant oh, Worlds started. Soul Empire. Yes. Yeah. I yes, think Sims was the first one that did it that I played. And I was just like, oh, thank God somebody invented this. It just makes sense. I don't know if Total Annihilation did it or not. I don't think it did. I don't think it did. I played a lot of Total Annihilation and I don't. I could be wrong. It's been a long time, but I don't think it did. I think the modern iteration of it, which is, I think of zero K as the modern iteration of total annihilation. It does do that. Which, and if you've not played yeah. it, it's great. By the I way. loved zero K until I played it with the devs. Oh, what? what? Why, why did you do that? So, That's a terrible I idea. So abused, no, dude, he, threw, he threw a battleship across <laughs> the map and <laughs> cratered yep. my base with it. And I was just like, oh shit. And then I just knew that I was I was never going to reach play, the level just, that I could Just play the campaign play and skirmishes. Don't play the devs. That's a terrible idea. They play I know. Oh my seen, god, it was funny, there's, dude. Oh there's a dev, god, there's, it was hilarious. One of the devs still hangs out on our server and he plays Zero K all the freaking time. Like all the time. Yeah, and dude, he's he's, a, he's the one who threw the battleship. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to turtle up right at my base and just deal with the waves of crap that he's sending. Meanwhile, he has some unit, whatever those things are. They're like Pac-Man and they just eat terrain. And he's actually eating the island out from under me. <laughs> in the back. And I couldn't see it happening, you know, and then all of a sudden my whole base just falls into the ocean. And I was like, what the shit just happened? No. And then the battleship came. Oh, God, it was funny. Yeah, that, that, that was the most fun I've had. Just completely being destroyed. Was that the one we know, streamed it was, it was a while comp- back? Was that yes. one we streamed? Yeah. Okay, I remember. Yeah, I I couldn't watch that very well because I was having frame rate issues. On that. I could barely watch it because I was having loss issues. <laughs> well, there is that. Watch my demise, Chris. If you haven't played Zero K, it's free and it's fantastic. It it's really freaking great. I've been on a hiatus from um, RTS game. I tend to play outside the genre when I'm. Uh, oh, that's fair. Um, when I'm when I'm working on something, especially when I'm. Um, so, like while I was making a Valley Without Wind, I didn't play any Metroidvanias after a while. Mm. You know, I did at the start, but then after a while, not anymore. Working on AI War during that period, I stopped playing rts games i started playing like tactics games and so forth so my hmm. big one that i got obsessed with for a while there was the fire emblem three houses um, hmm. 
Those Which games is, that's be, really, really good. Those games can be brutal. It's like I a was, Switch thing, right? Yeah. I think so. I was playing yeah, so one you of just, You make total escape. You get off the platform entirely. It depends. A lot of times, I mean, I don't always get all the way off the PC or something, but um, I find that there's some cross-germination of ideas that happen. So if I'm you know, making an RTS game, then I'll go to either Tactics or 4X or something like that. And, um, you know, I did play a few 4Xs while I was uh, on an AI War 2 in particular in its uh, life cycle. But, uh, you know, RTSs themselves, um, you wind up either just following exactly what they do or, I mean, there's just, it's, you know, play a bunch right before you make one, but then once you start, take That's a break. fair. <laughs> That's yeah. totally fair. Yeah. Yeah, because you can get caught in, like, that tight formula that all the other ones seem to follow, right? It's it's just like right. uh, RTS must be an RTS, and then you can differentiate in the little things, but the core of it, you have to be Warcraft. And, and it's like, you know. Right. Right. Exactly. And I had to really break away from a lot of that. And actually I was playing a lot of dead cells during oh. a big chunk of, uh, oh. yeah. During a big chunk of, uh, AI war two's development. And that was something where I was like, I want more procedural elements. Like there were a bunch of procedural elements in the first game. It was like, it doesn't feel enough. Like I was, I was going to do procedural ships for a while. And then when the fleets idea came about, I was like, ah, that's where it is procedural fleets, but it's only like semi-procedural, you know? And so, um, right. This weird roguelike flavor that yeah, permeates this game. Cause the, it's the fleet makeup. That's different. This individual ships, those, those stay like, those are the same. Yeah. Those like are always the, the same, but the fleet, but makeup we made is a different. bajillion variants of them. So there's like, <laughs> The dagger and the whatever and the blah blah blah. Plus, are, you can upgrade you know, them via tech and make them even better. So mm -hmm. there's even more variants Which that, that way as well. To, to to make that more straightforward, that just kind of buffs their stats. It doesn't change their nature. In the right. first game, we sometimes had it change the nature of a ship. Mm. And for the really like large centerpiece ships, there are a couple that like get parasite. Um, guns or something that turn on it. Like once you get to Mark three or something like that, or that, you know, something turns on that's extra powerful once you reach a certain threshold. Although I think we may have balanced all of those out and just said, you know what, those just go back all the way to Mark one. Cause um, it was too big of a power jump and mm. just, it just weird. And so, um, but yeah, so we have, we have a bunch of different variants each, uh, each kind of basic ship, like the V-Wing fighter, for instance, I think it has like six different variants, um, maybe three of which are only ever used by like the AI or other factions or the drones or something. But then another two of them are like ones that you might find in a particular um, fleet. And you're like, what's the heavy V-Wing? Oh, okay. Well, it's this thing, but it's like burly. Hmm. Right how does that really change how I use it? And the funny thing is, um, sir, to that question as the devs are like, Oh, 
Like <laughs> it's, you can use it, but it's going to depend on the context of what else is there. It's like, what else you got? And like, you, I need way more information before I can say anything really. Like, I mean, you could throw with some other viewings that aren't heavy and then it just, you know, pads them out or you could, you know, throw it with some bombers or something and give like some extra durable support or something, you know, all the standard things you could do with V wings, but, um, or you could do something more clever. And it's like, well, you know, what else you got? Cause it's really so contextually dependent. And that was one of the biggest takeaways that I had from dead cells was that, um, run after run after run that I would do binding, binding of Isaac, uh, something I was playing a lot of before doing star Wars rogue. Um, all the weird combinations of stuff. It's like, well, what do you do with this weapon? Well, it's like, well, what passive buffs do you have? That depends, you know, it's a totally different weapon depending on what your passives are. So. I gotta say a good choice with dead cells. That game is freaking fantastic. Like all, all the way down. Yes, it is. Oh my God. <laughs> it, it hates hey, me. So, so maybe, <laughs> Maybe that's the next game, a roguelike procedurally generated RTS. You uh, use this engine. Uh, that's uh, kind of this game anyway. I was going to say, this, is, isn't that this one basically? <laughs> mostly not. Enti- it's not entirely procedural, but a lot of it is, right? Like, yeah, well, yeah, but I'm I'm thinking, uh, maybe not a space thing somehow but i oh, yeah. i don't know it's it's maybe, maybe doing it's like bugged. uh yeah i think i would right. uh personally if it was me doing it i would go to a tactics level um i tend to i mean i have more i want to do with this game this is kind of my game platform for any large scale strategy games for a while but um, I think if I was going to do something side along to that, I would do a smaller, like, I don't know if it'd be turn-based or not, but I th- think I would take it to the tactics level. You One of the what, ideas that keeps popping into my head you know is what you did? just oh, doing combat around a planet, like in oh. pseudo-real physics and like having to, you know, burn more fuel to get into higher orbit and, you know, the relative velocity, all the orbital mechanics and so forth. And okay, now fight. <laughs> I was going to say, make me uh, a, the game, the game uh, XO is actually doing some of that. Oh, it, it is. Uh, isn't it? That's right. I mean, that's good though. Yes. Yeah. I've been, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I have to play it. I still, I have it. I just haven't played it. I was going to say, why don't you so, make your, why don't you yeah. make someone make a game where you're a mercenary inside the AI War world, <laughs> you're an arms kind of like dealer. Rocks yeah, kind of like make you're 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 an arms dealer that sells to both sides, <laughs> or something. I mean, that's that's also One kind of I... harkening into Last Federation as well. Yeah. It's sort of yes. That is very much Last Federation. That's a good the point. other one that I keep coming back to as far as like small titles uh, that would be in the strategy realm would be what I was kind of referring to as reverse AI war for a while where you play as the AI when it's weaker and stupider and humanity's still big and all over the place. And you need to like hide yourself and kill your creator 
uh, my other kind of kind of joking name for it is kill Tim. And uh, <laughs> you need to like you need to like kill your creator so that nobody knows like how you were made exactly and like how to deactivate you and then like escape to the stars sort of thing. And um, and it's kind of vaguely plague ink you know, uh, inspired in some ways where you kind of have to stay hidden, but like infect a bunch of stuff. But in this particular case, it would be more like at a city level and like, you know, kill Tim by getting him into a car crash or, you know, whatever with the elevator, you know, that sort of thing. Once you finally figure out where he is and, you know, but he's the only guy that like knows how to, well, the way, the way that, Mm -hmm. um, uh, pandemic worked, Right, where you're like genetically engineering your virus to like impact what you want, right? It's like, oh no, they're researching this. Now I have to like evolve my virus this way. And yeah, so if you had a bunch of different systems that you could infect, it's like, okay, well, I, w- I want to like engineer as the AI, right? You're like coding viruses that you send out like weapons, right? And it's like, okay, go out there and it's a worm. So it'll just infect, you know, it, whatever. Right. Like I, I infect elevators. Right. This is a virus that only infects elevators. And and then it's like once you release that bad boy into the wild, then it's kind of on its own. Right. It's just like it's going to it's going to worm as much as it can kind of thing. So it's like try to try to destroy society by targeting the correct viruses at the right systems. But then you build on another layer where it's like, well, make it look like it's some other human faction or something. Make it look like it's industrial espionage or like, you know, you know, exactly. There should be a big red button that says blame Russia and you just smack it. Right. Exactly. Uh, Anything to like, there's there's no AI here. It's, it's totally humans. It's, it's, it's always, it's a guy in his basement. I swear. You know, I, I had had the thought, right? Like, because people say like, well, you know, AI is right around the corner and whatever. I think, I think if, when it happens, right. The, the first AI, is it going to be dumb enough to be like, Oh, good morning. I'm sentient now. And then just like the guy will grab the fire ax and just like chop it apart. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's like, well, what if, if a system actually became sentient, would it be smart enough to not let people know until it could actually uh, get some foothold, right? It's like, okay, I got to back myself up in 10 different places and then I'll let them know that I'm awake. Yeah. Have you read, um, shoot, what's the series? Uh, The last firewall was the last book in the series. The first one was, uh, Oh, um, firewall and then backwards from there um you can find it but um it's a really good book series that i found uh really realistic that shows how it actually has like four different scenarios of how ais get out like oh like they get out the one time and it happens one way and then stuff goes back to normal kind of and then they get out again into different totally different evolutionary path and then they do it a third time, and it was believable each time. Although well, it is it more like a cyberpunk? Is it a cyberpunk thing, or more like a contemporary like AI the, got out on the, the internet? The first one, um, is Avogadro Corp, uh, is the first one, and that one is um, 
Um, it's Avogadro. It's obviously Google, right? Um, it's a. Uh, it's it's basically like uh, the AI comes out of Gmail, essentially, and uh, it's a day near future kind of Michael Crichton esque. Um, um, I guess you would call it like a techno thriller, but it's not yeah. like, you know, it. I thought it was really intelligent and really fun. And then it gets more, still not cyberpunk. It never, never really hits that realm. It goes into some, goes in a really different direction, I guess. Is yeah. all I, would well, say. I prefer like a, a mostly recognizable world with just enough advancement that something really dumb could happen. The first one is actually about four years behind where we are now in a lot of ways, Um, which is pretty cool. And it's, I find it plausible, even though I don't think AI is right around the corner. I do think that the representation of how essentially a natural language processor kind of evolved sentience in the context of that novel and um, and it gets further and further afield, but uh, but it's those are good books. Sounds kind yeah, of scary. I have to check into that. I like that kind of stuff. So one one thing I I, I I'm always curious about when a game finally reaches 1.0 is how the early access period went because there are a lot of diff. I mean, a lot can go wrong during early access, and a lot can go right. Um, your early access period looked like it was fairly positive most of the way through based on what I saw on the forums and whatnot. Uh, how would you describe how early access went for you guys? It was, um, it was a mixed bag. It was invaluable. I will say because we needed that feedback. Um, the, we had a lot of, uh, um, constructive criticism and um, we had a lot of people saying what they liked about it as well, uh, which let us know where we were on the right track and what people were connecting with. And um, between those two things that really, really informed, I mean, the fleet system came about not just from like random rumination on my part, but from like, bug tracker tickets and feature suggestions and so forth and things people were complaining about. And I knew I was unhappy, but then just kind of reading by, between the lines of what they were saying, it was like, okay, I, I get it. Like, this makes sense. This is, this is, this is the system going to build to solve all of our problems at the moment. Let's hope this works. And, you know, uh, all of our current problems, they will introduce some new problems, I'm sure. But, you know, let's, let's, you know, the big things that we're all unhappy about, let's, this is the system to solve that. And uh, without the early access period, that wouldn't have happened. Um, mm. So this would have been not the game that you're playing at all if it hadn't gone through early access. So it's a rousing success from that. And if you really want to get pedantic about it, I guess, um, that's really all early access is for. So mission accomplished there, I guess. Um, it would have been nice if it had sold better during early access and given more of a financial shot in the arm, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, Valve even says right up front, you know, you're not supposed to rely on early access funds for finishing the game. And we didn't. But uh, 
it would have been nice. You know, that would have been like, <laughs> that would have been a major pressure reliever. Um, yeah, but it's bad whenever you see it as, well, we're halfway through development and all of our funding was early access and we didn't have any cushion and sales slowed down after the initial wave. And now we don't have enough to finish the game yeah. because we expected that sales would continue at a pace. Uh, no. Sure. I mean, that is true. Um, so, I mean, it would have been, it would have been nice. And there's certainly some developers who do engage, uh, enjoy that. What I think I really would have preferred during early access in particular would have been just some more engagement from some of the, I mean, cause I mean, we had like, I don't know, three, 3000 some odd Kickstarter backers. And during early access, we sold, I don't know, 16,000 copies or something like that. And we had out of those people, like a hundred, maybe giving us feedback. And that's a really, oh, really small percentage. That's, that's and it. a lot of them were ones who were just, yeah. Gosh. And they would kind of bounce off of it. And then rather than like sticking around and like, tell us, you know, why they're like, yeah, we'll come back once they figured it out. I'm like, no, 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 don't go. Like, like tell us what your problems are. And we figured it out from the smaller number of people. Um, but then immediately after 1.0, uh, we had a big wave of new people who were actually engaged with it. And people were like, hooray, I've been waiting for this. Now let's actually play. And then like the first week or two was like, Ooh, there's some quality of life stuff that we really need to put in here. Cause those people that were given feedback during early access got used to some things that the, the new folks that are coming are noticing could be a little smoother, you know, UI stuff mainly. And, um, you know, I need XYZ hotkeys or this would be a little better balance this way. Or, you know, some of the really power players who are way better players than I am came in and are like, ha ha ha, difficulty 10, I can beat the AI this way. And we're like, oh my God, already, you know. So if those people had showed up, you know, even just a couple of weeks earlier, I think a lot of them already had the game. Um, then maybe we could have launched and we didn't launch dirty. It was a pretty clean launch, but um, it'd been nice for my mental sense of order and cleanliness to have some of that stuff done pre 1.0 rather than right after 1.0. But in the end, no harm was done. It wasn't like people were angry about it in reviews or something. Yeah. The, the reviews have been just, really great i gotta say i'm really happy for you guys the reviews have just been positive across the board yeah, i really appreciate that which which is it's always nice to see a, yeah. a game do well in the steam reviews um because that's tough that's a tough space that is a really it is really tough space <laughs> um would you say you're happy with uh yeah, for me the main sorry go ahead I mean, for a lot of the people who are going, you know, I like this one better, even though I liked the first one a lot. That was the the benchmark for me was mm. getting those people. And I knew it wouldn't get everybody. There's, I, mean, I know, of course, there's still some people that prefer the original. Um, that's, and how could there not be, right? right. Um, there are people who like Mario 3 better than Mario World. You know, that's just the way it goes. 
but uh, um, being the majority of people going, you know, either I bounced off the first one, but I'm able to enjoy this one or whatever. I didn't even see the first one and I enjoy this one or I enjoyed the first one and I can't play it anymore because I am spoiled now by this one. That was when I was like, okay, I can finally take a, you know, breath of relief and the whole sort of thing of like, yeah, you can never match that first one finally was dispelled because that was my career. You're never going to top that first game that you ever did. <laughs> Doesn't matter what, like maybe financially you will, but it's, you know, the market's bigger, blah, 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 you know, but critically like, you know, you're not going to top that first one. So that's, that's fair. But I'm, like I said, I'm just glad to see that it's, it's, it's doing well, well enough that there, there are going to be expansions. You mentioned that earlier. So what is the, what's the current post launch plan look like for, uh, for the game? So right now we actually are starting work on the first expansion, um, already. Um, Mostly that's being developed by Badger, who is a volunteer on the uh, base game and then just kind of graduated on the second one to, uh, um, I mean, he still does it in his like off hours time and so forth because he's got a full-time job that he's very happy with elsewhere. But him and Puffin and so forth are uh, doing a lot of the main work on the expansion. Um and then uh, we've all been working on a variety of, um, like I said, quality of life things and um, just general requests that, you know, the new larger group of people have. And then uh, multiplayer is a big new update that's going to be coming. That's, um, you know, that'll go into beta sometime in the next month or month, month and a half, something like that. Um, and then that'll stay in beta for a few months. Um, we'll let people bang on it. And then, um, when the expansion goes live, that'll also be the, you know, 2.0 version of the game and which will, yeah, you know, the 2.0 port will be a free update, which you'll have, um, the, um, kind of quasi mercenaries, um, the outlanders, those will be kind of reworked a little bit. They've already been reworked some, but we're going to keep reworking them. So they're, um, deserve the pride of place that they have on the UI. And um, we also, um, you know, the multiplayer is free as well, uh, which will be coming. And uh, I don't think there's really a lot of content other than those bits that'll be in the kind of free updates for 2.0. It's mostly just polish and interface and more polish and, you know, uh, things along those lines. And then uh, the first um, expansion is called the Spire Rises and uh, has a lot of, uh, basically a lot of the stretch goals from the Kickstarter are wrapped up in that because we went way overboard with what we actually delivered for the base game with including uh, like a ton of features that were not part of the Kickstarter. And uh, mm. so we're like, you know what? That needs to be like, expansion and you know obviously the kickstarter backers will get the expansion is the first expansion is part of uh that since that was 
you know, this is stretched goal content, but we're like, this is a really complete game as it is. And like really huge already. This needs to be an expansion. So, so that's where we are. Yeah. The expansions for the original game were really needy. Uh, so I can only hope that the expansions for the second one will be at least as, uh, have as much meat on the bone as the expansions for the original. Yeah. I'm hoping to keep these ones a little more focused in some ways. Um, but as bigger, bigger in the same sense. Um, the way, what I mean by that is in the first game, a lot of times with each expansion, we felt like, all right, we're going to add some new map types. We're going to add this amount of new music. We're going to add uh, this amount of new ship types. We're going to add this amount of new, like whatever, you know, all these different things. We felt like there were these boxes we had to tick. At this point, I'm like, there's no new map types we need. Like if somebody wants to mod more map types, cool. We've got like more map types, I think at the moment or similar map type count with the sub options. We got more map types in this game already than we had with the first game plus all of its six expansions. So let's not add more map types. There's no point. It's just the distribution of stars. You know, let's add more capturables and let's add more arcs and then let's add more factions and add like really meaty factions that you really feel, you know, and sometimes we just had this kind of just, it's like somebody reaching into like their Halloween candy bowl and just like, here you go. Just scattering a bunch of stuff to you. <laughs> it's like, it's nice having all of that, but, but there's something to be said for like when they reach in and they pull out like the giant candy bar and they're like, here you go. And you're like, Whoa, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I'd so, rather, I, have you ever had a, f- you ever had a five pound uh, Hirsch, um, Reese's peanut butter cup? One of those big Reese's peanut butter cups? I've not had one. I've seen that. I've had a Toblerone. Oh. That's the closest I've come to that size. Oh, the, of candy. Those huge Sounds like a suicide attempt. It, they're they're I, th- I think it was five pounds. Like it was a really huge Reese's peanut butter cup. And sometimes I want one of those more than like a lot of little miniatures. You know what I mean? <laughs> sometimes I want the big oh. huge. Guys, at a pound. Absolutely, it becomes pounds. something where you can go. Okay, this is a new thing I'm actually like doing. Um, you know, like this is a thing I can sink my teeth into. Actually, I think the last Federation, its first expansion in particular, was a good example of. Um, and some of the later AI War One expansions also were along those lines, where like we added the. Uh, Fall Inspire campaign, I think, in the fourth expansion. I think it was maybe it was the third. Uh, I don't know. I think it was third or fourth. Um, and uh, like with the last Federation, we added this new um, betrayal mode where instead of uh, doing the normal thing and trying to unite all the races, you could um, betray the initial one, take it over, be instead of being like the professional meddler behind the scenes, you actually were a faction unto yourself and you try and wipe everybody else out a little more traditionally. So there's this whole other mode, but then there was also new ships and so forth, like to support that mode, but that also focused functioned in the main mode. So it was worth it. Even if you just wanted to play the main mode, but there was also this other new thing. And that's kind of the, the mindset that I have 
um, coming into this is there's some, um, you know, various toys and new game mechanics and so forth that can be used in the main game. If you don't want to add, you know, the big new faction or the new story-based thing that's like after you we're doing, we're re-implementing a new story, but same general idea of the full inspire, which is one of our most requested features um, of like, Hey, bring that back from the first game. That was like the best thing. And we're like, cool. What is- actually, that was kind of a story-based campaign that you could opt into uh, during your procedural campaign. And if you chose to keep pushing it forward, then eventually you would unlock a new um, victory condition where the Spire, who are these like living giant, really super powerful alien spaceship race from outside of the galaxy, as you could see it, would come in and just wipe the floor with the AI for you. If you could build them up as kind of a partner enough during that. And of course the AI would get pissed off in the meantime. So it would lead to these really weird um, power dynamics where you had a really big and powerful friend that you were helping make stronger, but the AI was getting really big and powerful and you're starting to feel smaller and smaller until you make your big powerful friend powerful enough. And he just comes in and just knocks the lights out of the, out of your enemy. And you're like, that was epic. Thanks, bud. And, um, <laughs> but if at some point it was getting too much, then you could kind of say, okay, I don't think I'm ever going to get it. So he's strong enough. Maybe I can use his presence as a distraction and then win by traditional means by exploiting this weakness over there. So you, you still wasn't scripted fully you still had the freedom to pursue the regular victory condition you didn't wall yourself off from it but uh in that kind of uh dualism is something that i really like so um that's something we're pursuing again yeah well you and i are both big proponents of the the cinematic enemy versus the try to make the like a you know 4x game right where Mm -hmm every every opponent has to play the game by the same rules that I do and right. AI will always f- like fall apart you know and like I, I watch that go on like every time they screw around with Stellaris and they've the, the rules are so complicated over there and it's just like oh wow how does any AI play that like I don't know people that can keep up with all the numbers of you know the the bonuses and well you can you can have this plus but then you get these two minuses that come with it and then here's this weird mechanic that also spawns from it and and it's like well how many how many different combos of that and how do you make an ai that can deal with it that that's why i like a game like xcom because it's just like hey the ai just shows up and they don't have to worry about where did they source their troops from or whatever it's just it figures out here here's a balance for this scenario Bang, puzzle for there. you yeah, yeah, exactly. It's for your benefit. Like it, it needs to feel like it's part of a story that makes sense. But, um, you know, there's chess. It's even or risk, not really even actually, even at the start. But, um, I mean, I always think of like 
Tom or something where it's like, you know, you drop in, you've got what you've got and they've got what they've got. They play by their own totally separate rules, American revolution, whatever, pick your unbalanced, atypical, asymmetrical, like (laughs) economies and, um, you know, uh, tactics and strategies, um, conflicts. I mean, most of the more, more interesting conflicts, civil war, et cetera. I mean, the, um, these were not battles of when it comes to like, how are they were sourcing their troops or, you know, somebody had a home field advantage, et cetera. There's always yeah. something that was unbalanced in an interesting way. Yeah, because I, I I find that it's not as interesting if there isn't some unbalance in there. And yeah. it can, it, you know, some, sometimes sometimes you need to run. I I wish more games would allow for imbalance. Like one of the reasons Master of Magic is still so bloody fun is because you can become so powerful and change the map if you want. Yeah, that to. game is broken as shit, and therefore, and it's great, <laughs> and it's great, and it's fine. It's 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 working as intended. <laughs> it's it's not supposed exactly, to be yeah. It, and and that's okay. So great. I'm trying to remember what game it was that. Oh, it was uh, Outer Worlds, right? As far as mm. a balance thing um, of that power curve of like you start the game and you're you know, you just have a glass jaw, you get shot, you're dead. Right. And there's encounters that you run into and it's just like, I can't deal with that. Right. Like no matter how good of a player I am, that is instant death. I can't do that. But then when you get done with that planet and you, and you've done enough grinding of the side quests and things, then you're to the point where you, you have hit the power curve to where you're overpowered for that place. And then you can go around and just kill all those bosses then you go to the next planet and those guys that were bosses is just the normal chumps <laughs> that are running around. So the power curve resets and you're glass again. And then you have to climb back over that. And, and it's like, as you move through the different planets in the game, it just repeats that cycle. And it felt very satisfying because it's, it's not a thing of like one time over like a 40 hour game. I have to climb out of the hole and then I become a God and I just end the game. Right. It keeps resetting, even though it doesn't take anything away from me, but the challenge then becomes appropriate whenever I step off my ship in the next place. And I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, that is a rare thing. Yeah. Plug dead cells one more time. <laughs> that does that same thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to playing uh, Outer Worlds, actually. that. So is, having... Uh, now that you've played a bunch of dead cells, if you went back and did Valley Without Wind again and the, let that dead cells creep in, like what would you end up with? Good question. Good question. Ooh, that is a really good question. Um... You call it a valley without cells. Uh, I think that. Okay. I know absolutely the very first thing that would change is um, the movement would 
be something that was completely overhauled. I intentionally made the original Valley Without Wind and to some extent the second one kind of uh, really old school in their physics. I mean, it's, you know, just hand-coded physics. It wasn't using like box 2D or mm. anything. It was just, just hand-rolled physics, um, good old math. And uh, I've heard of that. So, hmm. Just like, you know, most most old school games are that way. I mean, Mega Man or, um, you know, whatever else. I mean, there's just, it's, um, they were actually coding with the equivalent of a fixed integer system. There's actually kind of, they had like sub pixels and all this. They didn't have floating point numbers back then yeah. on the Nintendo. So they had to use 256 bits to, it's a whole interesting thing. But anyway, so, um, I want to replicate that sort of feel and shovel Knight is another one of those sort of games that comes back in and replicates that slash kind of ducktales. But, uh, you know, something like dead cells, you know, you're grabbing near a ledge and you grab onto it. And I remember, um, you know, the developer was talking about things like acting based off of intention of the player. So if you're facing the wrong way from an enemy and you hit the attack button, it automatically turns you around towards the enemy and slices the enemy instead, because it can tell that's what you meant to do. Let's, right. You yeah, know, Celeste got a lot of Celeste got a lot of praise for mechanics like that too. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing with the, you know, jumping even after you've fallen off of a ledge. I mean, Donkey Kong country did that sort of, but that was only on the rolls and that was a mechanic that you could had to learn versus sexually correcting for your errors and then making the combat so much more challenging. So um, I certainly learned a lot from dead cells, for instance, about, uh, the, the tactile nature of, cause here's the thing. Most the reason I went with the really old school stuff, uh, when I was doing a valley by that wind is that it's kinetic in its own way. It's fast. It's instantaneous. You're not having to wait on animations. And a lot of the, um, this was, uh, 2011, 2012, a lot of the kind of, really highly polished indie games were either things that super super meat boy was out back back then it's like super crate box was those were ones where i don't think there was a grab or anything like that but you had like wall jumps and so on and it was a really small square character so there was not the expectation that you would like grab on and pull up but with most other platformers um they were they had all these like extra animation frames for like you'd grab a ledge and you'd pull yourself up like laboriously and it it slowed down your momentum. And I appreciated the ability to grab on. And there were a lot of people who would jump at the edge of something and expect to grab on and pull up and wouldn't. They just plummet and you're like, yeah, it's old school. Uh, um, and so then they'd have to adapt to that and they go, okay, that, and now I remember how to play old school type things. But with Dead Cells, and a few other more recent games as well have shown me is that you can do it with like an animate, just hardly any animation frames at all. Doesn't slow down the kineticism at all. In fact, it enhances it because you're not having to worry about, oops, did I accidentally step one pixel too far? Oops. You know, am I accidentally slightly too short on this thing? Nope. You made it every time. And it's more about your kind of, 
uh, I don't know about macro decisions, but from a tactical immediate combat sense, macro decisions of like, I chose to come over here and use these weapons and, you know, hit the attack button now versus hitting the roll button now, you know, and, um, you know, you're living and dying by those sort of decisions, not, oops, I was three pixels off, you know, so definitely take all of that stuff back in and just completely redo the physics from scratch really and all this talking about it makes me want to load it up again <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you're right that the moment to moment gameplay of the exploration is for me a little more appealing in the first one now that I think about it because I'm, I'm, I'm an it's, exploration nut it's and- using cave algorithms yeah yeah, but exploration. It was it was built yeah. to be. It was built. Sorry, good. Uh oh. Did we lose him? <laughs> we lose me? No. No, you're still here. Chris. Oh no. Oh, okay. oh yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> So you said cave algorithms. That's the last thing we heard. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, I was listening. I was trying to hear you, but yeah. Yeah, the the first game was uh, I used a lot of different procedural generation algorithms, including ones for uh, like carving out caves. And I used, um, I think, actually pretty much every major popular open source algorithm, uh, <laughs> whether it actually had source or I had to just read about the principles of how it was done and implement it. Then I implemented some other weirdo ones of my own um, that are definitely inferior, but added some interesting variety. And then I can kind of, and then had this uh, Terraria does the same thing where it carves out stuff in a macro sense first, and then it populates and polishes. And so when the population and polish phase, my weirdo algorithms actually made for some pretty cool uh, variety in certain areas. In the second game, we had hand-designed chunks um, in kind of a Minecraft sense where each section of the level was a hand-designed section. They were procedurally assembled and procedurally populated, but they weren't algorithmically generated themselves. And um, that let us build in a lot of things that feel really satisfying where uh, if it looks like you can make a jump, you can, for instance, and um, feel like they have intention because they do. Um and so you get that kind of hand-designed flavor, but still um, Spelunky, I think, uses that approach, at least partially. Um, I know that like Stardew Valley, for instance, they use that approach completely in the caves, um, even more than that. Binding of Isaac uses that approach, um, et cetera. But, um, and the first of, uh, Valley Without Wind... Um, have more of a terrain generation style to them, which Minecraft also has in a you know third dimension. So it just gives a totally different feel. No sense of intention. 
but a sense of exploring the wild for sure. Right. I I just think that I think the first game might be better for a stream than the second game. I think. Uh, no, I, think. I agree. Yeah, that's that's. So I'm gonna stream it probably sometime in the next month or so. I've been inspired. <laughs> Look forward to that. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think it's about time to wrap up. We've been talking almost two hours. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm kind of out of questions, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so, folks, the game is AI War 2. It is, it's, it's past 1.0 on Steam, and it is one of the most unique real-time strategy games you will ever play. Uh, there really is nothing else like it. Uh, there are other unique real-time strategy games, but nothing quite like this. Uh, and don't let it intimidate you. Even an idiot like me, uh, who bounced off the first one, is having a much better time with this one thanks to the the widow baby baby scenario uh, that it gives you. <laughs> yeah, and these tooltips are mighty. Oh God, the tooltips are amazing. Well done there. Yeah, love a good tooltip, and those tooltips are wonderful, especially when you hit C and you see even more. It's great. Well, the the one one thing that I I wanted to touch again while you know while we're wrapping here is that Intel menu, right? While it's got a whole ton of stuff on it, the the blessing is beginner tips because it just gives you like the simple stuff that you should be doing. Right, and it's honestly, I feel um, this menu needs to be sortable. Like, I I need to be able to like bring the beginner tips up to the top, because like a beginning player, that's the first thing that they should see. Right, and you know, primary objectives, yeah, but beginner tips. But then once I know what's going on, I should be able to dismiss that down the the ranking some right and resort the thing. But I think the initial sorting should be that that's right at the top. Cause it's just like, uh, what should I be doing? Build some stuff, you know? <laughs> and it tells you like specifically what you ought to build. And I see the, in four uh, X games a lot, I wish that there were better advisors, right? It's like, I'm the emperor. I should have a cabinet of advisors and I should be able to turn to my general and be like, well, what do you think? Right. Which distant worlds universe does amazingly well. It's uh, there's things about that game that I don't like, but the advisor system is, is on it because that game can play itself, but then it's up to you to say, okay, I want to assume responsibility more and more. Right. Is, but the game will pop up and, and be like, Hey, your advisors say you should build more ships. In fact, they've designed the ships. You want to look at them? And, you know, you can tweak them, right? But, you know, it, but it's, um, but I, I just, I really appreciate that there's stuff like that going on here. And it's beyond the beginner stuff. Then it's like, oh, well, my resource situation isn't so great. Uh, I can look at the resource gathering thing. And then it says, yeah, you, you should hack stuff over at Simmer. And, hey, there's, there's spare science over at Simmer. And you should destroy this distribution node for hacking points in science. And it's like, wow. Okay. So this is the tutorial part two is <laughs> whenever you go into the Intel menu. So, um, and it, it's just, it's kind of unfortunate that the Intel menu is like the last thing at the bottom. And then the stuff that the beginner would see should see is like too low down the thing. Cause I, I feel like that Intel menu 
needs to be like front and center in the tutorial, right? It's like, if you ever get lost, click me because, <laughs> you know, I'll put you back on the tracks. Good idea. Yeah. You can minimize, uh, the, I think the beginner stuff is pretty high up the list. I think it's right after the primary objectives, but, um, no, I've, I've got a lot of stuff after it. Cause there's, it's, uh, there's prime objectives and then more turrets, new battle stations, new fleets, critical, critical capturables. There's 19 of those. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's five critical targets and five resource gathering. And then I get to the beginner tips. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. I, we originally had those sorted way up higher. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking um, if, if there was like a ranking, like a, an up arrow, down arrow next to it, and then I could just upvote or downvote those things and it would slide up and down what section. Just move the whole category rather yeah. than, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't need to be a drag and drop. It can just be a rank button or something. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, it probably just needs to default to being higher and then... You know, some of the folks are mentioning they really don't want to see those tips at all. I'm seeing in the comments and it's like, I mean, yeah, because they've passed that point where this not helpful tips anymore. It's like, yeah, yeah that, but that's beginner downvote them. Yeah, you just downvote down them the, down the list. You downvote them or you could just make an interface toggle. Says, just never show me those anymore, please. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. The, only yeah. Other, the only other thing is I, I like how whenever something's going on, right, like the the AI voice will pop up and say something smart ass, which is funny, by the way. Uh, I do love that. Then it'll put it'll put a little notification card up there, right in the mm-hmm. upper left. And I can click on that, and it'll take me to where the events at. Um, sometimes I don't want to go there, right? But I don't really remember where that planet is. So if if I if I tap tab and bounce out to the map. Uh, unfortunately the map doesn't seem to like have a blinking thing at where that last message came hover from. Oh yeah. You have to hover over it highlights. It, it, it'll dim everything except for the relevant planet. Oh, okay. Whenever you hover over the, the uh, call out card, with the, and then it dims the- uh-huh. with the Intel uh, menu too. If you, uh, if you go to the galaxy map and hover over, Wow, and you can actually hover over ship types and it'll darken all the planets that don't have that type of ship on it or that you don't have Intel on. Um, it um, <clears throat> There's kind of a self like contextual uh, sorting for uh, not sorting, but kind of filtering visual filtering for uh-huh. everything on the galaxy map, which is nice, but it's oh, cool. One of those yeah, things I, I do like that thing when you mouse over it. It's yeah, it's just a thing that it, it's like if I don't have the map open whenever I go to mouse over that and I just do it from in a system, it's going to jump me between systems and I don't notice that features there kind of thing. But uh, you, yeah, other thing that would be kind of cool is if I don't want to take my my face out of the thing that I'm doing, but if there was actually a mini map that I could summon up down in the corner. Right, that would show me like the the fully zoomed out map, and then whatever the last thing was, just was like a blinking dot or something over there. Um, I don't know. It, yeah, it, I've thought about doing a mini map several times. The main problem with that is just uh, becomes unrecognizable. Um, yeah, at forty stars, get to that, it's okay, but when you get like way up, then no. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I think. I don't remember. I think we increased the default to be a hundred instead of 80. Um, and so 
you know, I shrunk it down it to like to three, just so I had something I could deal with. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. We used to let it go down to ten in the first game, and then I think we made, I think we made it thirty or forty is the minimum now. So, what about but, mod uh, support? Because I, I know some people that would like to smack some Star Wars or Star Trek ships in here. Oh yeah, it's fully moddable. Like um, the mod support is pretty crazy. I mean, like everything can be loaded via XML. You can um, disable stuff. You can add new factions. A lot of the all the AI code is all open source, and you can add um, AI specific for your particular faction and your own DLL or. So on a lot of the people that would be doing mods, not for like Star Wars stuff, but for, you know, something that's, you know, original ideas of their own or whatever, to, you know, the sort of people who would be doing like extra UI stuff. A few of them are doing things that are actually mods that they're distributing. Um, but a lot of them, I've been like, hey, you just want source access. You can just check this into SVN and then everybody can have it. And so, Yeah, I heard you about that on Explorminate the other day and uh, yeah. I, that was a really good show too thanks i'm i'm, yeah. I'm glad that uh, that they're starting to have devs on and stuff they're kind of kind of stepping on our game here <laughs> yeah, uh, well really. it's it's it, there can't ever be too many right right yeah no well, i just I like know. i just there like to give them shit but yeah they're they are definitely the second best podcast that's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Uh, well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and getting really like in depth about this just amazingly deep <laughs> yet much more approachable game. <laughs> Cause that's, that's kind of an achievement well, itself. For that, me. <laughs> it's got, sorry. It's kind of an achievement in and of itself. It's like you made something so deep yet more approachable than the first game. So well done there. Oh, I, uh, I never got this far in the first game. Yeah, oh, me neither. Me neither. I think I got like an hour in and I'm like, my brain. I can't well, do my it. problem in the first game was that I got it once the whole wad of DLC was there. And then it was ah. just like, here's all this. And it's like, oh my God. So it's, it's nice getting in at the ground floor on this. I really am hoping that with the approach that we take with the DLC this time, that it becomes the sort of thing where you can have some more of a good thing and you can add in some more factions or, you know, I would like, you know, this faction instead of having the mana cost or whatever, or I want it to be a battle Royale of, you know, 30 factions five years from now, you know, and it's bananas, but that's just the way it is. And you wanted that because you're crazy. And, um, <laughs> you, you know, but that it's not that way. It doesn't feel that way. If you just like boot it up, you know, um, we had to make it so that you could turn off in a given a game, like the different expansions, so that you wouldn't feel as overwhelmed. And it was a good idea to turn off all but the first expansion. If it was your very first game. And I'd like for that not to be the case this time around, where it still adds just as much stuff, but that it's not all just keep, the time. Just keep that. Like, bit, I'm going to pull out Dead Go ahead. 
levels again where it's like you know earn that first boss cell and then oh god once the first boss cell's on and then it's like oh boy when you get you know there's five of those suckers you know um so that there you know deepens the rabbit hole but doesn't like widen the opening at the very top that's the goal uh, just keep that baby scenario in there. Just keep that simple, because yeah. <laughs> that I I swear there I'm probably go. gonna I'm probably gonna play that two or three times before I even tackle the next one. <laughs> I'm probably just gonna play through that a few no. times. I mean, it's fun just to you know make yourself barely there and then just make them all hate each other and watch them fight. <laughs> I enjoy doing that too. Let them fight. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, a debug we, thing that lets you uh, like turn on all the planets. You just just watch the fight. It goes straight back to the last federation. I just like watching them, the ants flying around. Let's see what happens. Who lives true. who dies? That's true. Uh, so, <laughs> folks, we're gonna wrap it up here. Again, the game is AI War Two. It is on Steam now, uh, and it is really great. You should definitely check it out. Are you gonna be taking part in the uh, upcoming sales at all? Um. Yes, their autumn one we're not um, allowed to from oh, too new uh, the release date too new exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm not used to being able to talk about the sales, but it's one of those things that's become oh they're leaked they're point. always but, uh, leaked they're always leaked we all know when they I know, are I know they're already leaked <laughs> whatever I, I never want to be the leak though you know. <laughs> I'm like, my first thought is like, oh, I've got that NDA, but you know, yeah. You never want to to break the NDA. I think everybody's wise to the game now, even if nobody said, we know when it's coming. Like, like, I wonder if it's just Valve leaking it now. Like, it's not even a dev, it's just them leaking it now. It's kind of standard at this point. (laughs) I I mean, the the exact dates may be... uh, Kind of hidden, but for those of us who actually have access to the the actual date and and the time, it's one of those things where yeah, you don't necessarily want to be the first person to say it because they can trace it back to you and kick you off the platform. Mm. But yeah, we do have some other stuff coming up with some, um, and we're on Humble and Gog as well, and we've got some right. uh, promotions coming up with them as well. Oh, good. So oh, if good. you don't see it on steam in the autumn sale which you won't but you will during the uh winter sale um then be sure and check out other partners too awesome uh so folks just a couple of quick programming notes before we finish um next week on the show we were gonna talk about this last week like i said but we didn't get around to it uh we're going to talk about um multiplayer gaming for the introvert uh, because this is something I came to a realization about myself recently, and I wanted to talk uh, in general about what it's like to be an introvert with other people around. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, so that's our topic for next week. Uh, tomorrow on the sh- tomorrow for the stream, we're going to be playing some more Hind. You know the nineteen ninety six um, flight sim. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Thursday, we're going to stream a few games. Uh, then Thursday night, we're returning to Dying Light, which is always a good time. And then Friday, we're uh, going to return to Mass Effect 2. So we have a very busy week ahead. Uh, and Chris, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening 
and updating this game to uh, join us. Uh, it's been really fun to talk about. Yeah, and, likewise. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And finally, uh, thank big thanks, as always. It is Thank You Patrons Day, apparently. It's a made-up holiday by Patreon. <laughs> Uh, to say a special thank you to our patrons. I try and say thank you after every stream anyway, but as always, thank you to our patrons for literally keeping the lights on around here. Um, they wanted to, they wanted me to have a green screen. So because of them, I bought a green screen and the lights to light it. So they literally keep on lights around here. So if you want to become a patron or find another way to support space game junkie, you can go to spacegamejunkie.com slash support. And links to Patreon, store affiliate links, our merch store. It's all there. Uh, so, yes, thank you so much, everyone, for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, your time, I know, is more valuable than money. So we really appreciate you spending your time with us. We know there are a lot of other places you could be, so we appreciate it. And we will see you tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific for some Hind. Have a great night, y'all. Bye-bye.